On GDC Podcast episode 23, we're joined by Mohawk Games, Soren and Layla Johnson, who share their experiences in developing and releasing strategy games like Offworld Trading Company and the Civilization Meets Crusader King strategy game Old World. They also get candid about fixing diversity issues within their studio. This episode was recorded live during GDC Showcase earlier this year and is brought to you by Telstra. Back in a sec. co-host Chris Graft, editor-in-chief of Gama Sutra. Uh, we have a fantastic dynamic duo coming up uh, as our guest, but first let's say hi to my co-host Alyssa McAloon. Hey Alyssa. Hello, hi. Hi, I'm Alyssa McAloon. I'm the news editor and associate publisher over at Gama Sutra and my intros are getting increasingly weird as the week goes on, so stay tuned. Um, but that's enough about me here. Just real quick before we get started, if you have a question for our esteemed guest today, um, go ahead and drop it in the questions tab, which you will find in the chat box at the bottom right-hand corner of your screen, and we'll be taking um, audience questions as time allows uh, later on. So just to know that. So moving on to our next guest. Our next guests are a game industry power couple. Today, or Together, they head up the Maryland-based strategy game studio Moha Games, creators of Offworld Trading Company and the early access game Old World. They're early access mavericks and weathered independent game studio entrepreneurs. One of them speaks five languages and was a language and cultural instructor at the State Department, and the other was a lead designer on a little game called Civilization IV. Uh, let's welcome Layla and Soren Johnson. Hello, hello, GDC. We miss you so much. Chris and Alyssa, thank you very, very much. We are very, very happy to be here. We can't describe how much we miss GDC and looking forward to be seeing everyone in person as someday, one day, hopefully. So my name is Leila Johnson. I am the CEO of Moha Games. And I'm Soren Johnson. I'm the design director. And uh, yeah, we're really, really happy to be here. Yeah, and we miss you and everyone, everyone else too. I mean, it, it's it's wild. Uh, we're just uh, kind of all trapped in the phantom zone here uh, on our little <laughs> screens, but at least at least we'll always have that. So <laughs> um, we went over it a little bit, but um, can you all tell us a little bit about your your backgrounds and how you got into video game development? Sure. Um. Uh, I'll go after you because okay. <laughs> uh, you are my reason. So. Yeah, I started a while ago. Um, I uh, um, yeah, my first job was at Praxis Games um, in 2000. Uh, I joined the Civ 3 team, and uh, I served. Well, I did a, I did some internships at Electronic Arts, which is how you kind of get your you know the, the, the traditional big question for the game, the game industry is always like, what was your first job? How did you get your foot in your, your door? Basically, I had a friend in college who who had did internship there and he helped me get an interview and I got in. But then after that, it was a question of like, okay, where do I really want to work? Um, and, you know, right when I was leaving, I got really lucky because um, the Civ 3 team, the Civ, the Fraxis basically needed to restaff their Civ 3 team because basically all the people who were supposed to work on it left to form big, huge games. And um, so they needed a bunch of people um, and I applied and I got the job. Um, and, uh, you know, been in the industry since, you know, we, we started Mohawk in 2013, um, kind of because 
uh, you know, I I want to make games that are a little different from the standard strategy games, if if possible. And it was kind of hard to do that in a you know in a larger company. You know, I'd been trying to make a game like Off World Training Company for a long time, and I was basically forced to start my own company to make it, basically. So, how about you, Eva? So I, uh, I definitely do not come from games. My background is in humanities. I used to have my own radio show in Beirut, Lebanon. Even after we married, uh, we, um, I had the twins overseas. So I was just definitely not into games. He had to ask me one time for a Christmas wish to play Civilization. Like this mm -hmm. is how much I was not into games back then. <laughs> um, and uh, so what got me into games is uh, the beginning of uh, what became uh, Offworld Trading Company. I am probably yeah. the biggest fan of Offworld Trading Company. I uh, started coming back from work at the State Department and streaming Offworld Trading Company it was an early access. We talk about design, I the compiled data for him. It just became my 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 love because of Offworld Trading Company. I started playing other strategy games and it dragged me back into the world of video games. And yeah. I didn't know I had a designer in me until then. Yeah. Yeah. I uh yeah, I wasn't expecting Layla to really like Offworld because, you know, it's just kind of this, you know, odd, fast paced uh, you know, kind of intense, you know, e economic RTS game. Um, mm -hmm. But it's her, um, it's her like uh, relaxation game. And <laughs> comes, you know, at night she wants to unwind and she, she plays this at double speed. Um, so like blazing. blazing speed. Yeah. Which is basically twice as fast <laughs> as normal because she doesn't like to wait around. No, uh, it's just because I don't have <laughs> enough time. I have to go put the kids to bed. <laughs> Parenting. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> parenting and running the company and everything so you go like the blazing speed i i've been wanting to i i've been playing uh some idle games like i've been playing loop hero for example and I, I want that to go slower for me because i kind of want a game just to be hanging out on my screen right. while i'm like doing emails and stuff uh but yeah anyway that's that's super cool like what was it about about you know that game um that made you just want to you know turn that into a, a career and go down that path? Uh, I have no idea. I mean, I this is the first time I really talk about it. I had a post a couple of days ago where I talked about, I resented Offworld Trading Company before it even was born. Uh, meaning Soren wanted to create Offworld Trading Company since we met. Mm -hmm. We got married, he wanted to create Offworld Trading Company. He had to go from one company to another to pitch what became off-world trading company mm -hmm. and I had to find myself you know packing everything in a box and following soaring around until I was like you know what I'm going to take a job back in Beirut I want to finish my education you know I have my own thing that I need to catch up with so I started presenting this like need to create that project so mm -hmm. take it from me if I'm recommending off-world trading company I have every <laughs> reason to despise it <laughs> yeah, <she> <laughs> You heard me talk for years about like, yeah, I want to make this game on Mars and like you run a business and like, she's like, yeah, that's great, honey. That sounds I that love sounds it great. because it's the um, really, it's just naked gameplay. You don't need to speak any language. There's, there's just really nothing. You just have to create something, find the resources, turn them, turn them into something else and keep your eye on the market. And then yeah. slowly build a strategy. It is just extremely pure strategy. I am in love with the game. And it's a game that you can play over and over and over. It doesn't lose its its thing. It doesn't you you're always it's not gonna be like the same game you played last time, even if you play it yeah. every day, like me. <laughs> yeah. And and it's it's it 
it's interesting in that it's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you said it's an economic strategy game. So you're competing right. in that way. You're not Zerg rushing or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the short pitch for it is it's an RTS without guns, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, I mean, one way to put it is some people say that like MOBA games essentially are RTSs that are just about micro. You know, they're like, let's throw away the economy and you're just, you know, you're just driving a character around and you're, fo you know, you're focused on, you know, spells or whatever. Like, Offworld is sort of like the opposite, right? It's an RTS that's only focused on macro. Like, it's just the economy, right? Everything else got thrown away, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's how I, I entered the, like, community and design. And then eventually I started going with Soren to pitch for new ideas for mm -hmm. our new next project. And uh, then in 2018, I made the whole switch towards, like, I, you know, I made the switch from whatever I thought my career was going to be to just being 100% in the game industry. And that became, that was because of a, uh, our publisher went bankrupt, bankrupt around that time and we needed to start yeah. looking for funding. Yeah, let's talk, let's talk about that a little bit. So we kind of went over founding Mohawk. You wanted to, you know, do your own thing. Um, so there was a journey that happened when funding the follow-up to Offworld, which is Old World, which is uh, on Epic Games Store in early access right now. So what, what happened between these two games? So uh, talk about sure. the transition. Um, so yeah, like, you know, we finished Offworld. You know, it's always tough when you're an independent company because, you know, you, you know, you got an advance for Offworld and that paid us to develop the game for three years. But at some point that money just runs out, right? And so... You know, you gotta you gotta pitch or die, basically, right? And um, and I mean, Offworld did pretty well, but it didn't do it at a level where you know we could like fund ourselves the next game. Um, and so we had to find you know a publisher to, to to make it. And and but you also have the issue of uh, you know it's you're gonna be in a lot better position if you have a prototype, right, to to pitch with. So sure. you know, I spent maybe six to twelve months you know working on the early prototype for for what we called Ten Crowns back then. And, uh, you know, we showed it to, uh, man, I, I remember it was a GDC 2016, I think, like, I think we had, I had maybe eight to 10, you know, publisher meetings, you know, throughout the, the five days, right? And, you know, you just, and that was after talking to maybe 30, you know, to, to you know, you know, kind of um, reduce it down to that. Yeah. Um, and Starbreeze was one that we, um, uh, you know, I actually kind of got connected to from, just kind of a random industry connection who mentioned that like we because I hadn't else we thought of them as a publisher and they offered us a very good deal from a developer perspective um a very very good very good contract we traveled to Sweden that year yeah 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 we we went together uh yeah this was even before Layla officially joined the company she came with okay uh, to pitch to them and you know we got we got this deal we we're really happy with and we're like okay great we got it now we can you know work on the game for the next three years um and then in late 2000 17 2018 2018 they, you know we got we got the news that they um had filed for it, they're a swedish company so it's like the technical term is i filed for reconstruction, filed for reconstruction mm -hmm. that's it. Mm -hmm. um yeah. and so you know that was alarming um they actually were very good to deal with throughout that whole point they kept they kept you know paying our, our milestones and, and whatnot did but, you find out about their financial situation like everybody else or did they contact you directly about what was happening there so there was there was this weird aura right before it was in november 
there was this weird aura around October and we were like reading some things in the news. And of course, you know, because we care, I mean, we haven't ever had any bad dealings with them. They're great publishers. Communication mm -hmm. was terrific. They haven't missed out on any payment. So on our end, there was nothing, but I studied journalism and I keep like my eye on things that are outside of, you know, of the company. And there was a certain aura and I remember it. I don't know if you know, if you remember it the same way I do, but mm -hmm. like, we'd be in discussion all the time. Like, yeah. are things okay over there? Well, we kept Should getting we like, you know, little, little news, you know, news bits of like, have you seen their stock price recently? Because it's, it's, it's really <laughs> going the wrong direction. And like, you know, it's at some levels, like, I don't know how that affects us or not. There's not anything you can have any control over. It's kind of like watching a hurricane coming, you know, that like, you're like, this could be bad, but I don't really know what it means. And then yeah. it's also fair to point out, like we have friends in the industry who sometimes, you know, come across, you know, like some some links or some some news, they send our ways, and they're like, hey, just if you didn't see this, not right. that I'm trying to alarm mm -hmm. you, but mm -hmm. just keep mm -hmm. that in mind. And I'm very grateful to you know, just because we were kind of prepared. Now, how it impacted us, we found ourselves without a publisher, um, and. There are multiple things we wanted to do, or we had the options to do, whether we go to like, uh, we fund ourselves or, you know, we go to a GoFundMe campaign. Um, we, uh, you know, we just, th there are multiple options that we thought of, but definitely looking for a publisher was the one that is more, more, well, uh, yeah. It's like the conventional ultimate, choice, right? Yeah, yeah it's mm -hmm. the traditional way. How far into development did you lose a publisher on, on this game? That probably is a third of the way into it. Yes. Um, yeah. you know, at least probably development money-wise. Um, so yeah. you know, we, weren't, we weren't close enough where we could be like, okay, well, let's rush it and let's rush this thing out, right? Mm -hmm. but, yeah. You know, we, we, we had no animation. Like, yeah, we were right. like yeah. a little before. Yeah. yeah, like at that point, basically, we had like, okay, we have we have money for six months left of development, basically, right? And so, yeah, we could think like, well, if we really wanted to, we could just like, let's work, you know, do we want to work like crazy for six months and roll the dice and see what happens? <laughs> like, we could do that. Uh, or should we find some help? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we talked to publishers. That was the crazy GDC year. Yeah, yeah. So then we I were, think we were we back. like three hours. Right. Oh yep. <laughs> I remember covering all that, like the when things started to go weird with Starbreeze and like, oh, the game's not doing great. Um, the Walking Dead game, the Walking yes. Dead, right? Yeah. Yep. And then like, oh, they're no longer publishing this game, but they still have these two. And one week later, oh, they're no longer publishing this game. So like, yep. I can only imagine from the inside the like kind of anxiety around there um, with how that publishing um, agreement kind of shook out in the end where you guys ended up losing a publisher midway through developing a pro uh, progress, excuse me, a project. Um, do you think it was, if it had to happen, would it have been better to have happened sooner in the development process later? Or do you think this was kind of the perfect point for you guys to ramp off and repivot, find a new publisher and still get the project to the point it is now? I think the timing, I mean, looking back, it just looks like everything happened in the right time. Mm -hmm. Like uh, the game was, was we were able to show the game and it showed and played well. Uh, it was, the, the design was there. Um, and um, I think the timing was, was right for us because we were able to meet with multiple people around GDC with our ultimate, the, 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 uh, the company that ended up being our publisher of the yeah. Epic Game Store. 
uh, we connected with them around GDC. We have such good memories. Yes, we did not sleep. We barely, we, we overate because we're like always meeting people over some type of food. <laughs> <Right>. food. <laughs> food. Occupational hazard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it helped that we were running and walking everywhere because, you know, we needed to do that too. I remember just meeting with Annapurna and mm-hmm. the, the, the restaurant we were meeting at was closed. Yeah. And yeah. we basically, we basically went into a hotel and we just, sat in a hotel room not not a hotel room ballroom. up there ballroom yeah we're just like oh, crack the door like is yeah. there anyone in here like okay let's take over this <laughs> nobody room. here and we just took over the room and we had the meeting with them there and it was just this memory i never wanted to change like it was so yeah. beautiful the member of the team from annapurna were just phenomenal like we were all looking over our shoulder does anyone notice that we're here <laughs> put a little meeting in progress sign on the door and nobody else questions it's fine it was yeah. great at some point someone came in and apologized to us like oh i'm sorry and they left and we yeah. all felt weird about it yeah. I would say that uh, when you ask about like, when's the right, like the ideal time, right? Like I, I think you can make anything work as long as, and this is why it's really important to think this way. As long as you have, um, you spent your time making sure you, you work out a good contract ahead of time and you work out and you also work with good people, basically Mm -hmm. like, like, you know, you can, you can tell that like the people on the other end of the connection are, you know, ethical and, and would do a good job because, uh, you know, our contract did have provisions for this type of stuff. And, um, and the people at uh, Starbreeze were very, um, very considerate and they knew, you know, it kind of could put us in a different, difficult position and they made it, they made it easy for us basically to, yeah. to help to move forward. So because that happened, you know, we actually, it was, it was a lot easier to pitch it when we had another, you know, another year of development into the game. Right. So mm-hmm. yeah, we are very happy that they are in a much better place today. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We are happy to hear that they, you know, they survived like they're back in business. Yeah. It sounds like they've bounced, bounced back. And also I, I appreciate a good uh, hustle, uh, you know, independent business person type story like that. Uh, so, so that's cool. Um, we should actually talk a little bit about what old world is anyway. I mean, it, it's kind of, you know, a mashup of, you know, a couple big strategy genres, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, you know, Formally, it's like a 4X game, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Civ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That's, yeah, that's makes sense. Big comparison. <laughs> um, because, you know, it's got random maps and tiles and settlers and you find your cities and you build your units and it's a tech tree. So it's got all that stuff. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm pretty familiar with that, that type of game. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the, the, the main thing is I had to have a reason why I wanted to make that type of game again. Right, because you know, I did Civ three and I did Civ four, and at the end of Civ four, I was I, I really wasn't even particularly involved much in the Civ four expansions because at that point I'd really kind of wrung out every idea I had for for that type of game, and it was just it was time for me to do something else. So I felt like I really needed a reason to come back to make this style of game again, um, and I think there are kind of two things that did that for for me. Uh, one was the success of Crusader Kings, um, seeing like how much you know, how, how, uh, how interesting and popular and fun uh, a game they were able to make that was really focused on people, right, on characters. You know, like, it's a strategy game, but it's, it's very much about people, you know. And, like, in Civ, the, you know, Napoleon and Gandhi, they're very abstract. You know, you don't have any sense that, like, they're a real person, right? And they live 2,000 years. Yeah, they live forever, right? <laughs> and, you know, they don't really change. They don't age. Nothing really happens to them. 
And Crusader Kings really showed like this great outline of like, okay, if you want to make a game about people, like, it can work. But of course that meant we'd have to change the scale of the game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's where it's like, okay, well, let's make a game where it's one year, you know, every turn's a year, right? And like, you know, you're a real person and you'll age and you'll die and, you know, we'll have to see how that works. So um, you have to train your, your heir because they're going to take over right. when you die. So if you do not pay attention to their relation, your relationship with them, they can probably kill you. Um, your wife could plot to assassinate you. So you have to like manage your kingdom. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. families to manage, religions to manage, you know, all sorts of things like that. But it also means that the decisions, the decisions we give you in the game as a player, they're easier to relate to because you're like, if you say, yeah. okay, like make this choice, but you might get sick or you might be poisoned, you, you immediately know what that means, right? We don't have to like explain explain that to you. Um, and the other thing is that there was a very significant game mechanic that I wanted to try out. Um, and that's the order system that we have in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and believe it or not, this idea essentially came from Facebook games um in that like if you remember back when they were kind of like blowing up a lot of them were built around this kind of like energy system where you had you know a certain number of moves you could make and eventually you would exhaust it the whole point was they wanted you to buy more energy right (laughs) um and i thought that was interesting not from a business point of view but like what if you know you just you just like you know, kind of like stuck that on top of like a turn-based strategy game where, you know, every turn you get eight moves or whatever, but you can use them however you want to. You can- Did you work, work on that kind of mechanic when you were at Zynga? Uh, um, I mean, I've experimented with a number of prototypes, you know, over okay. the years that kind of like touched on this type of stuff. Um, and, uh, but yeah, like it just, it felt, it really changed the way the game feels, right, felt, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, yeah, I spent some time prototyping this, this basic idea. Um, and then when I, when I kind of like got the idea of like, okay, let's, let's fit it into this, this, you know, per human based, you know, like a uh, X game. Like I thought that'd be worth, that'd be worth make, making. Yeah. I mean, that's a killer pitch. Like civilization meets crusader Kings. Uh, it sounds kind of so- like that system you were talking about there answers. I was going to ask, um, how kind of when you approach a meaty genre, like those kind of strat games, and right. then you add these other layers on there. How do you keep it from becoming too overwhelming for a player? Just too much like information to absorb. But like from sure. looking at uh, your guys' game, it looks from the trailer, it looks like it's accomplished that pretty well. Yeah, well, it's um, so when you look at the type of that, this type of game, you want to, if you make it, you should actually be trying to make things easier for the player to handle. And there's a couple things that does that we're able to do that with for old world. Like, because every year is a turn, there's no way we're going to do all of human history, right? Mm-hmm. So that means that instead we yeah, can, yeah, yeah we yeah. can choose the scope of the game. We can be like, if we want the game to last 200 turns, we can do that, right? Like that's actually one of the challenges that the Civ designers face is they have to get all of world history in there. And they can't, mm-hmm. if they go too fast, then people will be like, you just skipped over the Middle Ages, right? You know, and like that makes it a really long game. And the longer the game is, the harder it is to balance. Well, one of the right? things that, I didn't want to do is micromanage my unit. Yeah. Like every single turn, you have to move your your whole entire like you know unit. You just start like auto. You put everything on auto. Right. And it reminds me of something where you know, at some point you said, "Who's really having the fun? Is it the AI? Is it the computer? Is it you?" Right. And it's not me because as soon as I put something on auto, 
I'm no longer enjoying the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, so. yeah. I mean, everyone would tell you that basically like the second half of the Civ experience is not necessarily great, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you've got, you get more and more and more units and you have to move every, you know, you could theoretically move each of them every turn. And, you know, if you're playing the game optimally or whatever, there's no reason not to. So you kind of feel mm-hmm. compelled to like keep doing stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with Old World, because the number of orders you have stays, you know, it goes up, but it kind of goes up, you know, at a, you know, slow linear rate. It means that every turn, the turns don't get exponentially longer, right? They kind of just sort of slowly get a little bit, a little yeah. bit longer. Yeah. So we narrowed down the, the history line. So you are basically dealing with classical antiquity from like 1000 BCE to 500 uh, CE. And it's the seven civilizations around the Mediterranean. And something pretty cool that we we're also doing is we are throwing a lot of historical events in there. So there's like this globe icon. If you click on it, we take you to a Wikipedia page of the event that actually took place in the game that we just wrote inside of the game. We're having fun with it. We yeah. have like over 2,500 events yeah. right now. Yep. Navigating that space between like history and then kind of like wanting to have your own like lineages throughout and just kind of jumping, like having a foot in both worlds is a really interesting approach. Yeah. Yeah, the event system that Leila mentioned, like what what we do is we look at an event like, you know, Caesar's assassination or or something like that. And like Mm -hmm. you kind of like identify, okay, these are some key characters. This is the situation where this would happen, right? And the game is always looking for an opportunity to, to like basically dynamically put that event forward, right? It's not going to be the same people. It's it's might not even be the same nation, right? But mm-hmm. it's like looking for ways to kind of replay these familiar events from history. When we pitched the game to the Epic Game Store, mm-hmm. I didn't know that the 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 uh, that one of the people we p- pitched to uh, was from Kiev, and we're talking about the event system and how we're trying to write in history. And I was like, well, th- this is how we're going to write the next series of events. So I'm going to make a chain of events where it starts with Olga of Kiev. It's based on Olga of Kiev. And this is what she does. And then this is what she does. And he goes, yes, there's a statue for her in my town. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know, this is someone who's familiar with the story of Olga of Kiev. And I'm just basically telling him, this is a crazy his- historical event that actually happened. Not a lot of people know of. And I am cutting it up and writing it into Old World. And he's like, yep, this is. Olga, we have a statue of Olga Kiev in, in my town. Yeah. yeah. That accidentally personalized pitch must have worked, though, because you guys landed <laughs> on Epic, so. Yeah, you know, whatever happened, I believe that, you know, like, we had a, a window closed. That's something we say in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. We had a window closed for us when our publisher went bankrupt, and then we had a whole door open. And... It happened so genuinely. Like we didn't research who we we're gonna be meet with. We didn't research what we we're going to say. We were just really in need of a publisher, mm-hmm. and we talked to them about what we're thinking, what our hopes up, what our hopes are, and everything kind of happened so, so organically. And for that, we are very, very grateful. Like you know, things just kept on being positive for us, and I don't take that for granted. Yeah, that's so great. Um, probably going to take a couple of questions from uh, listeners here real quick. Um, hmm. Fakey Jones, is that your uh, real name? Uh, Fakey, jo- Fakey Jones <laughs> asks, uh, what did you do to grow your community and make people aware of your games when you were just starting out and didn't have the amazing reputation you do today? So, uh 
so what we did was an accidental community. We, I didn't even think that I was creating a community, Fakie Jones. Like I would come from work and I'd, uh, you know, turn on the camera and because, and this is the truth, I didn't like when Soren explained the game to me. I didn't like him explaining things to me. He uses all these big words <laughs> that, you know, I just didn't, didn't want him to tell me how something works or how he would play the game. He is very much into telling me what to do. And I didn't want that. I wanted to learn. <laughs> so what I do, <laughs> I don't want to put a solar, you know, panel. I want to put a wind turbine and don't tell me which one is better. I want to lose with my own decision. Uh, so I would go to the community who uh, part of that community were testers, in the alpha phase and the beta phase. And they would tell me, you know, do this, don't do that. Uh, this is why you want to create this thing. Uh, maybe you want to outsource carbon. And it was just so much fun. I started getting to know them. We planned uh, to uh, have tournaments. They'd say some amazing things that I compile and I tell Soren about it. And that, you know, he started kind of changing design because of that. And uh, I became a better player. And then one day I beat him. Everyone was watching. It became a feature <laughs> achievement in Offer Trading Company to beat Soren, you know. And then it was it was pretty easy to beat Soren. Easier <laughs> over time. It's all true. And then I started um, telling him what to do. And because of that, there were at least five to six thousand people who are ready to just join just to watch you know, Soren being beat by different members of the community. Yeah. yeah. We've, had, we've had more <laughs> a lot of success with uh, with Discord and with Twitch. You know, those are kind of like okay. places I felt like we got most of our community people from. And it just was very useful. Like, you know, like we you know, we kind of get the ball rolling with a few things like Layla mentioned with the tournaments and, and stuff. And we're just generally, we're involved in those places, but then they, the people on those places get to know each other. Right. And they mm -hmm. like, they form their own bonds and they, they start organizing their own things. Um, you know, off-world tournaments still happen on their own, you know, that's just, we end stuff up hiring they, the, the people from does. the community. Yes, absolutely. So yeah. people mod our game and then we keep an eye because we're so in the community. Like Sora and I, in, in April, first week of April, we're joining the off-world trading company uh, community to play in the tournament uh, with a new DLC. And uh, we realize that they're creating these beautiful thing in mods. And then when we are hiring or we want someone to create a DLC, we just tap them and say, are you interested in doing this for us? Yeah, in fact, in fact, tomorrow. We have... <laughs> yes, it wasn't even ready for a promotional segue, but <laughs> our new DLC comes out. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it just it fell yeah. on our lap. Uh, but yeah, there's a new DLC coming out for Offworld tomorrow called Interdimensional, and it's made by two modders uh, that we, you know, got to know through Twitch and Discord. What I was gonna uh, say though is that we are yeah. eight people in Moha, full timers. One of us okay. is uh, is uh, Derek Mann, and he comes from Offworld Trading Company community, and mm -hmm. he's one of Mohawk's uh, full timers today. Yeah, that's that's and, really cool. Yeah, we have like five people from Old World community who are today. Uh, helping out with creating yeah. old world. Some of them are actually people who were involved testing Civ 4. They're people I knew <laughs> from way back then, you know, that yeah. stayed in touch with over the years. And like, you know, gamers are very like enthusiastic, generous group, you know, if uh, mm -hmm. if you give them something valuable, you know, and you, you, mm -hmm. you, you're not afraid to like, you know, kind of like jump that wall and get to know them, right? Like I always really encourage people to like, get, you know, wade into the forums and like, you know, you have to, you know, like it's, uh, 
you know, I know obviously there's a lot of potential for negative experiences as well, but like the flip side is also true. You know, if you approach mm -hmm. it, you know, humbly and with the right perspective, like it's, yeah. it's amazing. It's a big reason why. And, and, and also like you interact with people more and they understand you're not just some, you know, black box that games pop out of. It's like, yep. there's, there's people that are working on it. And that sounds like validation of the design, what you're talking about, Layla, like, um, you're going to play it your own way. You're going to kind of crowdsource the, like the methods of playing. And then even though it's not Soren's way, it, it works. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what, Chris, and I hope I actually answered the uh, Fakey Jones's uh, question. I'd say that we are not community managers. Like what we did was just open up to the community and the community gave us so much love. It improved our games. Like what happened there is it proved that we are able of creating a, a game uh, to a certain degree, but then the the players would take our our ideas and improve them and perfect them and make them way better than we could have imagined. Mm. And that happened to us with Awful Trading Company, and it's happening to us now with Old World. Uh, what we can't do is the community manager's job, mm. and this is where, in fact, we are looking now for a community manager because. Mm. We are in a place where the the um, the game is uh, is still in early access. We are developing the game, but in 2021 we're going to be publishing Old World, and we need someone to take over where this is their job. They know how to manage a community. It's not our job. I mean, Soren is designing and programming, and I am doing. You know, I'm the head writer. I'm art director for 2D art. I am the you know uh, project lead. Like. There are so many things I can do. I can definitely not do on top of it community management. And yeah. I want someone who is way better at it to come over, uh, to come and take over. Yeah. Catherine asked here too, and it's kind of related about, you know, tips on growing a Discord community. Um, they're saying that I've had a lot of uh, the hardest time getting people engaged on Discord. But I think some of the stuff that you, you want to add anything to, to what you've said already? or Be yourselves. Uh, make yourselves available. Uh, and I, I would advise that we're a small team and we're mm -hmm. creating a big, biggish game. Yeah. But uh, pop in uh, the Discord channel, talk to people, uh, check the feedback. Uh, even if you go to the off-topic channel and play crossword puzzles sometimes with <laughs> the community, it's kind mm -hmm. of nice. Yeah, that was um, a nightly ritual for us for a while. For a while, just <laughs> oh, yeah. it's really fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the thing I would say is just really be yourselves. Um, there's some straightforward things you can do as well. Like, you know, you, when, you, when you start our game, like there's a little Discord link right there, right? So like from the main menu, it's encouraging you to come join the join the community. Um, and, you know, like, you know, the, the old world community, uh, the old world server, you know, like we run it, but we certainly deputize people who, you know, fans who are, you know, want to be active and want to, you know, play a role as moderator and whatnot. And like they are, you know, they, they partially run it as well, right? So have fun with your, with your yeah. crowd, you know, have fun with your crowd. I. I jump into the Discord to the mostly to the history buff channel and I say, okay, I'm having an issue here. I want to find out what could be the name of a prince or the title of a prince in, Beb in old Babylonia. I know Emir is mm -hmm. something in Egyptian and I can use it in Carthage, but I cannot find the equivalent of this in Babylonia. And you have no idea the dedication, the amount of love, the amount of geekiness. Yeah. I'm using mm -hmm. it like in, a, in a positive way. The amount of geekiness that exists on that Discord, what's not to love? Yeah. You know, and think about what's different about your game that you know, like, you know, every game is different, right? You might have some unique angle to get people more involved, right? Like, like one thing you did was the baby picture contest, right? Yeah. Like, you know, we needed a lot of characters in the game. And so we we're like, hey, let's, you know, 
if you'd like, you know, post pictures of your kids and, you know, we'll, we'll, or we'll yourselves randomly, when you were kids. Yeah. Or yourself and your kids. We'll randomly pick a few. And then, you know, a month or two later, we started posting the, uh, you know, the, the final uh, character images that are now in the game. Right. Yeah, if you see the CP symbol, that's actually from community, that's community uh, uh, collaboration. Yep. Yeah. That, that's, um, that's so great. I would say building off of all this like wonderful community chat is you guys are very experienced with the early access as a program. Um, I was reading, I think you're Soren, your 2016 postmortem of um, Offworld Trading Company on Gama Sutra. And yeah. the first like several paragraphs are just talking about how important um, external feedback is right. in the process. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, why you go, why you gravitate towards early access and the kind of like strategies you have to make the most of it? Sure. Um, I mean, one of the real core beliefs I have about game development is that like your players understand the game better than you do, right? Like, you know, like you keep it in your head for a long time, but like whatever, whatever you build is never, is never actually that thing that's in your head. Like, mm -hmm. because probably the thing you had in your head is like impossible to actually build. Eventually you build a, a real thing and then you have to figure out what it is and you figure it out, figure out what it is by interacting with, with, with people. You know, I think it's, 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 there's a reason why people want to keep their games private until they feel like it's like, Oh, I've, I've perfected it. Now I can, I can let it out there. But the thing is you, you don't really know what you're making. If you do that, you really have no idea. Like, because you're, you're going to play your game. Like when I play a game of Civ, I kind of like, I have a very specific way. I always do things right. Like I always um, avoid conflict basically as much as possible. And like try to have the best, you know, the best possible tech so that when it, when war does come, like I'll be ahead of everyone else. Right. You know, that's just, this is the way I'm going to end up playing. So if I keep playing the game over and over again, I'm going to have certain assumptions about the game. They're just completely not true because, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm going to end up, you know, everyone's different, right? Mm -hmm. and you have to, it's really important to like have a diverse audience and being able to like learn from that. Um, um, with like early access for off world versus early access for old world, are there any like differences in just the landscape or how you're running those that you've noticed since between the two? Uh, so Offworld had the advantage that it was, uh, you know, the multiplayer was very uh, was very easy to get get into because it's a short scale game, right? Like it's a twenty to thirty minute game, um, and so it was it streamed really well because people like watching multiplayer and um, and people could kind of go there through that experience really quickly. Um, with Old World, as with all 4X games, you know, one of the big challenges is they're very much kind of like single player, epic, long, you know, 20 hour single player experiences that are harder. You know, I think people are playing, people are playing Old World more than they were playing Off World during early access, but we don't see it as much. It's not as visible, right? Like with Off World, it was more regularly that you'd see a variety of different faces and people playing the game, you know, uh, you know, streaming the game because it was so, so short. Um, mm -hmm. Where it was with Old World, it's, 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 it's the type of game people kind of like really sink their teeth into and like they're gonna, when they sit down to play, they're gonna play it for like six hours or something, right? And so it may be, it's not the thing they might stream but they might play for a long time and then write up their thoughts on afterwards, right? So it's, it's a little bit harder to judge through that lens. But we're still really lucky because these are all, both of these games are replayable games. Like mm -hmm. they, they're not, you know, you don't consume the narrative and you're done with it, right? Like, it's it's people who make those type of games. It's 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 not really clear how to how to necessarily do early access. Let's take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be right back with some questions from our audience. Stick around; we'll be right back.
when it comes to expanding business and reaching new audiences, game companies need to plan and execute on a global scale. Telstra is one of the telecommunications companies that is working with game companies in North America and elsewhere to expand into new markets. Telstra already connects the six biggest global game companies in Asia, partnering with them for their network infrastructure needs. Go to Gamasutra.com and search Telstra. That's T-E-L-S-T-R-A. And find our interview with Telstra's Adam Day to find out how they can help take your game business from local to global. Or you can also visit telstra.com slash Americas. Um, I'm going to go to chat really quick um, and ask this question from Tremaine Williams, uh, who says, hi, I just started my own small studio. My biggest hurdle is uh, to find resources on a budget. So my question is, after making the jump to working for yourself and making the games that you want to make, what would you say was your biggest hurdle and how did you overcome that? The biggest hurdle uh, in making games. The biggest hurdle probably would be finding the talent that works well with you or you work well with. Um, we are so fortunate to have people who can do multiple things at the same time. And again, I say I don't take anything for granted because it's insane. Every time we hired someone, we realized that they could be a programmer and an artist or an artist and a producer or a QA and a designer. It's just like, we don't, I don't think I can think of one single person on the team who isn't like dual functioning. And yeah. we're just, we're just lucky. The, I, I don't know if I could personally say um, you know, if anything I'm going to say is just going to be based on a personal experience. To, so that would be only generalizing. So I do not want to do that. Sure. I hope that I explained what I think would be a hurdle. And that's find, finding the right match and the right team to create your game. Yeah. So, if you're if you're struggling for resources, I mean, it, it's it's tough, right? Like, I think the the market now is like, you know, we're really lucky essentially that like we made games kind of before the market exploded, you know, in the sense that like we could, we have like a reputation that was established before that. Um, because I think nowadays it's very easy to imagine that a small team makes a game that's really good and it just never, you know, no one ever notices it. I mean, because yeah. it's just, there's just a tidal wave of games coming out. So, you know, it's, it's really difficult. I'd say that your best, the best advice is just to like, pay pay attention to like the thing that is so personal about yourself that's like the the special advantage that you have maybe over other people and that's hard that takes a lot of self-awareness but also to and that and also like be very careful about what scope you set for the game right like if you don't have a lot of resources then that means you're gonna have to make a really small game right so you just have to make figure out what's the best way that you personally can make a really small game and think ahead because like we had difficulty after off world trying to find financing for the next thing if you're a small studio you're going to need the money so there is nothing no revenue coming from anywhere else think ahead what you could do to make sure um, start pitching early for your next uh, project so by the time you wrap up or publish your game you at least have an idea where you're going to be with your team uh, because they're going to be frustrated. They're going to be worried. And that's going to affect them personally. It's going to affect their families. And they're going to affect the result at work. They're, you know, they're not going to be able to give you 100% because they're worried. Yeah. So think ahead. 
Yeah. And some, similarly to what I was saying before also about like, don't be afraid to show your stuff. Like if you need resources, the best way to do that is, is find people online who are also really into the stuff that you're into. Right. And want to join you and help you out. And that's only going to happen if you are open about what you're doing, you know, yeah. it, it may not happen, but it's definitely not going to happen if you keep everything secret and, you know, hidden. Mm -hmm. um, and to what Layla, what you were saying, I think you, you both kind of hit on this and I hear other game developers um, who are independent when they talk about money, they're talking about time. You know, it, it's like um, we've got six months here, you know, and then uh, so I guess that's another thing that, you know, I appreciate, you know, the way that you're talking about the planning ahead, you know, aspect of it. Um, so I think that we should talk about this whole kind of it seems, sounded like uh, when Soren posted on Twitter uh, maybe a year or so ago, sounded like um, a total makeover culture wise of, of Mohawk. And uh, can you both talk about uh, what happened there? I know that we have a few people in chat asking about this, uh, this as well. Sure. So uh, without breaking any NDAs, because you know we don't want to have any non we have non disbarment agreements and we just want to keep things uh, you know less complicated. Mm -hmm. uh, when I joined offer when I joined Mohawk Games, Mohawk was made up of just men. Everyone was white and everyone was men. And uh, I didn't notice this because where Mohawk Games as a studio was was two hours away from our home. And that is because when Soren founded Moha Games, he wanted to make sure that the employees he wanted to, that he wanted to work with, or you know, the partner and a couple more people, they lived they lived up there. So he was willing to do the commute. He didn't want to ask them to make the commute towards us. And I worked at the State Department as a as a person who works with the government. Uh, I have a tour of duty that starts at 7 and ends at 3.45. I don't have any flexibility. I come in at 7.15, they deduct that from my PTO. Like, it's just a whole different dynamic. I don't have that flexibility. So I needed to leave. I need to leave at a specific time and be relatively close to where I work. And uh, just so one of us can be called if in case something happens, God forbid, to the kids. So one of us would be at least close to where we are. So... Um, when I went up to, to uh, Mohawk and I saw that, I was uh, surprised. And I mean, at that point, Soren was going to work at least depressed for two or three years. At that was point. a long, yeah. It was a, <laughs> I had a very, very long commute. Um, um, and, uh, Soren is a bit conflict averse and I was raised in a culture where you are very, very polite. So when you are very, very polite and someone who's conflict averse, you're gonna postpone dealing with an issue for a very long time. And we've learned the very, very hard way how to become better as leaders and we're still learning. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I am now the CEO of Moha Games and I'm still working on my leadership skills. And I will always listen if someone wants to tell me something. I don't let my, you know, my ego get in the way if, if I have it. And please let me know how I can improve in any way. We are not ready, we were not ready for that type of negativity that we saw, it's just like, just the fact that everyone was man and everyone was white, if we said it, it's, it's my fault. It's my problem for noticing it. Yeah, and, yeah. and there was so, there was like a wall of, of negativity and, and non-inclusivity. And we felt it. 
And people, we try to hurry. Uh, we try to hurry. Uh, we, we, we try to hire. We try to hire a writer, uh, a woman. And when she visited, her reaction was she wasn't very comfortable with that situation. And it hit us. It, has, it hit us like, how did we not notice that slowly the hiring was just of men and white? It's just, I, I visited once every two years at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, the type of conversation that happened was inappropriate, um, crossed boundaries. At time was uh, xenophobic. I'm from Lebanon. Someone asked me about my English and they said, maybe I don't understand the word sexism because my English isn't good enough. Mm. this is stuff you just do not say anywhere no period and that was the level of conversation and not just that no one from the surrounding team was stepping in and saying this is inappropriate we shouldn't say this so Sora and I were just we're just having to deal with all of this bottling it in and wondering how are we gonna get out of this this is not what we want to work with on the long run. We need a code of conduct. Uh, we need to uh, take the reins to start hiring probably people uh, from marginalized uh, uh, groups because this is insane. And when we had the Epic deal, that allowed us to move away. We, had, we were working from a garage that had no doors so we were able to uh, get a, um, a uh, working space in a commercial area uh, and uh, have doors and uh, a little bit more of a professional looking space and uh, reboot the whole system. It didn't come without tears. It didn't come without pain. But I am very glad that we had the stamina, the energy, the strength to regroup and reboot and be where we are today. So, because today we can think of future, uh, of a future, we can think of future games. Today, the team is happy. For a whole year, we haven't had almost any issues. Yeah, for, <laughs> for us, like a real silver lining of the whole yeah. pe- pandemic thing is that it's got us to finally stop thinking about lo- you know, hiring local, essentially. Like, you know, yeah, like yeah. when you have an office, you just kind of have the sense of like, well, we should be a, uh, we should be like this Maryland studio or whatever. And like, you know, Maryland's great. There's a lot of great stuff around here, but you know, once, once it was like, well, okay, I guess we're a remote studio now, if we're going to hire now, we should be looking throughout the whole world. Right. And like, it's led to, you know, now we have people, we're, you know, we're working with people from Africa, from Azerbaijan, um, from all several, different, yeah. you know, all different locations, all different types of people. And as soon as I came on board, we hired several women and then different ethnicities and we just opened up completely and we are better as humans, as a culture, as a company, the game is better. Everything is better. And I'm glad that we are this today, you know, and I wouldn't change a thing. Yes. Uh I I have a heart rate of 207 at some point. And I was carried out of an airplane coming back from PAX West. Oh, geez. Yeah. But you know what? I'm going to be better. And where we are today is a very, very good place. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, well, I was, I'm, yeah. Oh, sorry, I, I was I was gonna ask, uh, like how coming from a studio that has that kind of like level of uncomfort, unco- un- excuse me, uh, with like anyone who's not a white dude, and then being able to 
kind of rework your entire culture are there like it's no small undertaking and it sounds like a lot of the work that you you did a lot of, you guys did a lot of work there and a lot of that came from bringing in people from other backgrounds bringing in women bringing people from marginalized genders or uh, other races and stuff like that like can you talk a bit just real quick about um what kind of considerations you've kept in your studio culture moving forward to make sure there's no backsliding or to make sure that those negative opinions don't kind of permeate what you've now created? So uh, the conversation is very, very open. Uh, um, we are transparent with the team. There are regular updates, having a code of conduct, checking in with the team regularly. Um, being a project lead means that, well, I am in almost in every discipline. So being, a, you know, the art director for 2D art, I just, you know, I am involved with the art team. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I'm just so grateful also for the art team for teaching me so much about the art that allowed me to express, you know, what I see for the event, you know, being painted. I am in the audio and music department. I'm also in the writing department. That allows me to be very close to the team. And I am someone who studied communication and journalism and had a radio show. Sure, English is not my first language. I'm from the Middle East. But I am no longer at the same place where I feel that the first worry I should have when I'm talking to my team, if my sentence structure and my enunciation is correct. Mm -hmm. And that prior to this team used to be my worry. I'm an adult woman who has three kids, worked all around the world, travel to so many places and the first worry I have when I was facing the previous culture was am I saying the right words in English mm -hmm. that was horrible it impacted my input I stopped uh, it put my walls up even when I talked I was rigid I felt that my voice changed that I am talking less that I am not expressing my enthusiasm I'm not enthusiastic um, it just impacted me in general and now I try to keep my eye out on as much as I can with the pandemic on body language on, am I asking the team to give me their input often? Uh, should I um, have a check? I haven't heard from this person. I feel like their energy is different. I'd be like, Hey, I was thinking about this. How is everything? Um, and uh, having the team constantly tell me how happy they are is actually indicative. Um, I'm not exaggerating. They're probably listening right now, but uh, I think on a weekly basis, uh, I hear that this is a beautiful place to work. And that to me is just, again, I'm not someone who takes things for granted, but that to me means the world, especially after all of that pain. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the, again, some of the side benefits of like, you know, basically just working remote is that it it puts people on more of an equal footing, uh, especially new people coming in that, you know, might have a different background or might you know, not know all these people who've known each other forever, right? Like in, you know, kind of like the old saying, right? On the internet, no one knows you're a dog, right? Like, you know, it's, uh, you know, when you're on Slack, you're just another one of the people on Slack, right? And, uh, and beyond that, it, because the interactions in many ways are more frequent and shorter, um, you know, you're probably going to end up talking like I'm, I would probably like talk directly with people more often than I did back when you know we were in the office and like oftentimes I was balancing the the trade-offs of like being able to focus on like this thing and I need to get done with like all the other people I you know necessarily needed you know needed to talk to throughout the day and um like you know I would I would like to get some of that interaction back of course for for multiple reasons but like I think that this makes it it's a I think it's 
it's easier for new people to come on board now. They're, they're, I think there's less apprehension, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, at least I hope, I hope that's how people on our team feel. We've been absorbing a lot of people very quickly and, you know, it seems to be going really well. You hear a lot of like talk about like how important transparency is to a business on like a, just like a project level, but Layla, what you're talking about sounds like transparency on a personal level is very important to how you guys have kind of managed to create what you have now. For full transparency, I mean, we are talking from our bedroom right now. This is here, our bedroom. I wasn't going to tell anybody until the end. I am wearing pajama pants. So this is all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Layla, what's, what was it like? You know, um, I'd like to hear both of your perspectives on this because, you know, you're you're coming into this this company, you know, um, from, you, you know, from your position and then um what was it like telling your your husband like you know look around you or like look what has happened um is that what what was that like it was hard i mean i i was disappointed mm-hmm. i was disappointed i was like how could you not see this um at some point it threatened the relationship to me I mean, I worked for, for and I had a radio show in Lebanon in which I fought for women's rights, gay rights. My own father wouldn't listen to my show, but I was ready to speak my mind and fight that fight in the middle of a, a conservative culture. That's Beirut, Lebanon. And um, I received death threats. I'm so familiar with death threats. So just to me, it's just something I deal with. Um I was disappointed. I think we had a very, very rough time. Yeah. Um, but we managed to pull through. Yeah. It was a, yeah, it was, it was a hard period. And um, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's just nice to be on the other side of that now. Like, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's something now that like, it's almost, it just feels like it was a long time ago, which is nice. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being so candid about it. And, you. you know, to, you know, to both of your, of your credit, um, wow, like what an, ex- what an example and like what a story that is where like I- I'm so glad that Soren went out and and tweeted that long thread. I just looked at it again today just to like, and, and that was probably just a, about as candid as, as you're being here. Um, but I think that it's good for people to hear those stories. Like, I mean, you, you kind of did it. I mean, it sounds almost impossible to me. And obviously if you're talking about, you know, your health deteriorating over the stress of it. It's not an easy thing, but um, I think it's good for people out there to know that it can be done if you're willing to put in that kind of effort and go through that. Reach out to people in the industry that you trust who, uh, who can give you that support. And mm-hmm. I'm finding slowly that the type of industry that rejected my presence is mm-hmm. 100 times fold for the, com- the type of industry that is superbly welcoming and beautiful. Uh, I am making friends that I am looking forward to meet in person that I do not know yet. They are amazing. They're strong and they are a great voice in the industry. And I'm not just talking just about women. I'm talking about um, men as well and uh, non-binary people who have the strength and the ability to uh, talk about issues that no one wants to hear about. It's very easy to pretend you are on the outside of the industry. You just want to work. But from day to day, there are people who come into work who are suffering 
they have issues they're taking with them at, to, to their home, their families are suffering just because you just do not want to have that conversation. Make yourself accessible, listen, keep your ears open, your eyes open, and occasionally make a great game. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've been talking a lot this, this week about like, it's just, it is so sad. There's no GDC because there's so many people that reached out to Layla, you know, with, with support or to, you know, also ask her for help as well, you know, both, both directions. And like, she's just, she's very excited to like be able to meet a lot of these people in person because that's, that's the thing you can do at GDC, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, we're at this uh, point, they're friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, Whew. Really get, get really digging into into stuff here. Like I, I, I appreciate so much um, the, uh, the 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 lessons that you've learned and that you're you're willing to share here. Um, we can kind of end. It. Alyssa, did you happen to see any questions we need to hit? I I, I like throwing it to Alyssa just randomly. <laughs> you can um, since we're doing this as a video <laughs> podcast, you can see the panic on my face just kick in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but we, we kind of we uh, covered yeah. a lot of bases just through natural conversation um, with a, mm -hmm. what a lot of folks were wanting to hear here. Um, um, there were some other questions about working in a genre as large as 4X. How do you define your own constraints with what the player is allowed to control or manage? Can you answer that in 48 seconds? <laughs> <laughs> the designer, the designer challenge. Oh, no. Um, yeah, like in... Uh, I will, I'll probably give a talk about this, but like a lot of what I'm doing with old world is actually rejecting a lot of things in, in, in that I thought were good ideas in the past for Civ. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was like giving people too much control. Like in Civ 3, we introduced the bargaining table where you could like trade almost anything back and forth with each other, like this tech for this money, for this city, for this unit, for this whatever. And the truth is it gives the player too much time, too much control. They're able to like waste their own time for no good end, you know? And so, you know, I'm trying to streamline a lot of that stuff with old world, so. Yeah. And now we have a talk to pitch for yep. yeah come around next year <laughs> all right i think that we're we're um we're at the end you know kind of unfortunately we're at the end like i feel uh like we could just keep on going forever here but um all good things as they say but um thanks so much seriously uh soren and layla uh for coming on and uh sharing all of your experience and insights Thank you, everybody in the audience, for hanging out with us and asking great oh. questions. If and, they have uh, more questions for you both, where should they send them to you? Twitter? Uh, I, I exist on Twitter, definitely. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. So at Layla Cat J and uh, Soren. I'm just at Soren Johnson. So yeah, we're, we're happy to talk on Twitter. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thank, thanks for reminding me of that. Um, GDC Podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Uh, rate us as high as you possibly can, <laughs> please. And uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you thanks. next time.